I tell you, there will be some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And when and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was sent, still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud came a voice, This is my son, the beloved, and with him I'm very pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and look, and not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except for Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah is indeed coming, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. All right, so I understand that many of you in the room probably don't know much about me, and so I'm going to take the next couple minutes to kind of introduce myself and talk a little bit more about my background, especially over the last 10 years of my life and uh, the impact that the last 10 years on my life has had in terms of me being here now. So when Adam approached me in November and asked if I would give the message today, I, as he said earlier, reluctantly accepted. And uh, I started working on this section of Matthew and was really excited about the, the transfiguration story, but I was also really conflicted about how to tie that in with what it meant to me, what it meant to you all in the room. And so... Uh, I started really praying on it, especially in my morning prayer time. And uh, so what I realized was I was starting to become super reminiscent over the last 10 years of my life. And as I was reading Transfiguration and really reflecting on it and how Jesus goes through such a massive change in front of these disciples, I started reflecting on all of the changes and risks that I've taken over the last 10 years and what that has looked like for me. And so we're in a flashback to 15-year-old Lexi. And if you were to ask 15-year-old Lexi 10 years ago what she would think or if she would expect this, the answer would be uh, no. Uh, 15-year-old Lexi wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. That was like my life's dream. I was dead set probably from the age of 10 that that is what I was going to do going to be a labor and delivery nurse and obviously that didn't work out very well for me and so then I uh, so this was my sophomore year of high school when I was 15 and I had uh, 
uh, a really rough four years of high school, especially like starting in my sophomore year. I experienced a lot of grief. I lost a lot of friends in high school, um, specifically uh, like death kind of loss over the course of the four years, but started in my sophomore year of high school. So I was experiencing a lot of grief during my sophomore year and uh, was really struggling with coping mechanisms. And so that kind of put me into a downward spiral. Some of that downward spiral looked like drinking and partying and going behind my parents' backs. And so uh, there was a level of trust that was lost. And so that downward spiral then came to a point my junior year of high school when I met my husband, Drew, uh, and he and his family invited me to start going to church with them at the childhood church that he grew up at. And so I started going to church with him and his family, and that was the first time in a long time that I had been introduced back into church uh, after growing up in the church my entire childhood. And so that, uh, that experience of going to church with his family was kind of my saving grace and my pivotal moment where uh, I started to connect the dots and really learn coping mechanisms. And so I like to think that that experience is kind of what saved the trajectory of my life. And then luckily that happened at the beginning of my junior year because at the end of my junior year, I lost one of my very best friends. And so that experience was extremely hard for me to handle and luckily coping skills were a lot better and so I survived that, uh, thank goodness, because I don't think I would have otherwise. And so then leading into my senior year on New Year's Eve, I get this mixed up, it's not New Year's Day morning, it's New Year's Eve day morning, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, my, my parents uh, and I had a break in at our house and it was in the middle of the night and I was sleeping in my room actually woke up to this man in my bedroom talking to my cat, had to pretend like I was asleep. Long story short, ended up going through a lot of turmoil, PTSD, counseling, therapy, and all sorts of stuff for that. And it wasn't anything that my parents did wrong. I just had this awful connection to that house after that experience. And so I ended up moving out on my own halfway through my senior year of high school. Um, and so I had my own apartment. I was working a full-time job and trying to graduate high school. And so there was a lot of risk in that, um, especially because I had all of these dreams and aspirations and big things that I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, I was an adult when I wasn't expecting to be an adult yet. And so then flash forward, I'm, I'm living in this apartment. Flash forward to October of 2015, after I graduated, Drew and I get engaged. So I was only 18 years old and engaged, so that's in and of itself a huge risk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and then flash forward to October of 2016, a year later, I was 19 years old and Drew and I got married, so we just celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary. I'm only 25, so almost 25, not even yet. So that's pretty, go that's pretty good, I would think, for a 19-year-old marriage. Anyways, um, so... I'll, I'll add this in, too, because I didn't tell the last gathering, so you guys will get a fun little tidbit. Uh, and I have permission from Drew to tell you guys this. But uh, we have this running joke in our entire family that I actually married my high school stalker. 
<laughs> um, it, it's a long story, but basically he had a crush on me all through high school and things didn't work out for him. Uh, and so, anywho, I'm not going to get into that entirely, but I'll let you guys just know that little tidbit. Um, <laughs> so long story short, lots of risks in the last 10 years of my life. And so when I was working on this section in Matthew, I started to think about all of those risks that I took and the growth that has come from those risks that I took and started to connect the dots with the idea of transfiguration and what Jesus was going to experience in the coming days and weeks leading up to Easter after this event in Matthew. And so with that, I think risk and the idea of risk equals growth is an invitation into this story of transfiguration and lets us look at this story through an entirely different lens. So when Adam's up here, he geeks out about sports. Yeah, yeah, baseball specifically. Justin geeks out about hunting and baseball. And Hannah likes to geek out on psychology stuff and gay animals and family and motherhood. And for me, this is all going to, this is going to be new to you guys. I like to geek out on cool historical facts and enter butterfly. This isn't the cool historical fact. I promise there's more to it. <laughs> um, okay, so the life cycle of a butterfly. So back in November, after Adam had uh, given me this section of Matthew, I met with Gay over coffee, and I, Gay is like the person that everybody goes to to talk about their struggles. She's amazing. So I go to her, and I'm like, Gay, I have no idea where to go with this transfiguration story. Like, I don't even really know what the word transfiguration means, and was kind of having this like inner panic about accepting <laughs> Adam's request for me to do it. And so I don't know if I was almost expecting her to talk me out of it, but she didn't. Instead, she said, you know, the word transfiguration and the story of transfiguration kind of remind me of the life cycle of a butterfly. And I thought that that was a beautiful picture because as you can see, the life cycle of butterfly, they go through several really ugly phases before they become their ultimate beautiful self. And so that got me thinking and really wanting to learn more about this word transfiguration. And so I started deep diving into the, the biblical history of this section of Matthew. And here comes the cool historical fact. So the original text, the word used for transfiguration is metamorphosi, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. And so I thought that that was a really, really cool picture that Gay had no idea the original text and the tie to the metamorphosis of a butterfly. And so I thought that that was awesome and there was no way that that was not going to be in this message. So with all the changes that a butterfly goes through, I want you guys to think about a time in your life where you have encountered change and in what ways. So maybe that for you looked like taking on a new job. Maybe it looks like a financial burden of some sort. Maybe it's a relocation or becoming a new parent or heading off to college. In what ways have you encountered change? And I want you guys to think about those changes, whatever it may be, and 
now see it through the lens of the gross, the growth, gross, the growth you've experienced from that change. So in Matthew 16, at the very end, we start to see this uh, season of foreshadow that Jesus goes into where he's trying to get the disciples prepared for what's to come over Easter weekend. And so they're standing with Jesus at the end of Matthew 16, and Jesus says to them, listen, some of you guys won't see your own death before you see me in my true form, in my true kingdom. And then six days later, we have Peter, James, and John with Jesus walking up to the top of a mountain. And I think it's good to note here that a lot of really uh, important biblical moments happen on the top of a mountain. And oftentimes the top of a mountain was directly correlated to a holy place. And so I like to think that Peter, James, and John were following Jesus up this mountain and were thinking to themselves that something really cool was about to happen. And so they get to the top of this mountain and Jesus's entire appearance changes in front of them. His face shone bright as light. He was glowing in front of them. And then we have, oddly enough, Moses and Elijah appear. And Moses, uh, from what we know, represents the law. And then the prophets represent um, a lot of significant things from the Old Testament. And so we have these people here and we have Jesus who's transfigured in front of them. And Peter, in complete and total awe, asks a question. And that question is, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Enter another cool historical fact. So back in this time, celebrations and festivals were extremely important to these people. They were um, accustomed to them. They were regular events. And so one of those celebrations that they experienced every year in the fall uh, for a week long is called the Festival of Tabernacles. It's also known as the Festival of Booths or uh, Seiko. And so at the Festival of Booths celebration, what happens is they build these shelters that have two sides and a back wall, and then the front is open, and then the top has palm leaves and branches. And the idea of this is that when they're at this specific celebration, they want to be a part of, of God's creation, of nature. And so if it were to start raining, they would be able to feel the rain on their bodies in the shelter. And if it were clear skies, they would be able to look up and see some of the stars through the branches. And unlike other celebrations, this celebration was peaceful, very quiet, very like serene, environment instead of what we would normally think of as a big party celebration. So what this would look like is families uh, and oftentimes groups of families would meet at a booth and they would sit down at the table inside and that is where they would eat all of their meals. So anything that they would eat would happen in a booth. And 
the idea of this was that they would get to experience the peace and quiet and give God thanks for his deliverance of his people from the 40 years in the wilderness. And so it was a very personable moment for them. And so I think in this moment where we have Peter asking Jesus this question about building three shelters, I think it's correlated to the festival of booths and the idea of giving thanksgiving at, at this festival of booths celebration. And so I think in Peter's mind, he could have been thinking, I'm going to set up, I could set up three shelters. You guys could stay here a little longer and we could really spend time giving thanks. And keep in mind, Jesus just showed his true self to the disciples. And so, well, the three disciples that were there. And so that's a pretty monumental moment because for Peter and the other disciples, this is them experiencing this version of Jesus for the first time. And finally, they're getting this realization that Jesus is who he says he is. And so they're experiencing for the first time the humanity of Jesus fused together with the eternal glory of God. So then what? We have... Peter asking this question, and Jesus doesn't respond. And from all of the work that I've done on looking at this section of Matthew, this is the only account that we know of where, leading up to this point, where Jesus is asked a question and doesn't respond. Um, and so a lot of speculation is that Peter in this moment got it wrong, that he was ignorant, that he didn't know what was going on, so he just asked a random question. And I don't think that that is all the case. So Jesus doesn't respond, and then who does? God, who appears in the cloud and is saying, this is my son. I'm really proud of him. I love him. Listen to him. And again, speculation would say that this is God's way of condemning Peter. I don't think that that's at all the case. I think this is God telling Peter, you got it. You got it right. You are listening to him, and I'm so proud of this moment. And so we have from here on out, Jesus and the disciples looking down this mountain, knowing that they have to go back to reality. And Jesus is going to start handing over a lot of the teaching ropes. And I think that this moment, Jesus transfiguring before these three disciples, is a necessary moment for them to see Jesus in his true form so that they know and understand, like, his, his death is coming. The things that he's been foreshadowing is coming up faster than we thought. So, uh, sorry, guys. Oh, sorry. Okay, so... So they're starting to realize what Jesus has been foreshadowing with his death is going to be the ultimate risk, but that risk will ultimately lead to growth for the kingdom at whole. And so what did risk look like for Jesus? I think risk for Jesus could have looked like uh, meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well or uh, healing the lepers and spending time with them. I think that those are both scenarios where it could have made Jesus very outcast and not, I mean, Jesus was already fairly outcast just because of what he was doing by nature, but it could have gotten him into some serious trouble. 
And so then in this specific scenario, we have the risk of Jesus showing himself, his true form, to these disciples. And the risk in that is we know that from this moment on, Jesus is walking towards Easter and those events. And the risk in this is that Jesus is revealing himself and potentially revealing himself to someone who could then go down this mountain and tell authorities and have Jesus arrested prematurely. And then who knows what happens in the story. And so there was a lot of risk for Jesus in this because he knows that there's still a lot of time left for his work uh, before his death. And so that's why I presume he comes down from the mountain and says, hey, you guys need to keep this hush-hush. So what does risk look like for you? Maybe risk for you looks like taking the job, knowing that you're taking a pay cut, also knowing that maybe you've been unhappy in said job that you were in before. And so the risk in that would be maybe financial burden, but growth might end up being ultimately your happiness. Whatever that may be, whatever that might look for you, what does risk look like for you? So when I first started at Narrate four years ago, one of the very first books that I read was called Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch. And it's a wonderful book that ties in ideas of anxiety and risk and tying those together on how you can be a risk taker and experience growth while still managing the anxiety around taking risk. And it really resonates with me because I'm by nature a very anxious person. (laughs) Okay, so uh, one of those quotes from that book I'm going to share with you guys, and it says, The vulnerability that leads to flourishing requires risk, which is the possibility of loss, the chance that when we act, we will lose something we value. And I think that that is what is happening on this Mount of Transfiguration, is there's risk because Jesus could lose something pretty significant by sharing this moment with these disciples, but there's a trust and a hope for growth that comes from it. And so... What are some significant changes coming up for maybe you or someone you know and love? And how, how could it serve us and our entire community and that person or yourself well to be open to that idea of change, to welcome the idea of risk and that it could potentially lead to growth? I think it's important to note I'm not talking about uh, I'm not talking about skydiving or um, bungee jumping, whatever that may be. I'm not talking about that kind of risk. I'm talking about the kind of risk where you have to intentionally make the choice to take this risk in the hope that it results in some form of growth. That's the kind of risk I'm talking about. And so what are those significant changes coming up that you could really pay attention to and and either help the person that you're thinking of or, or welcome help in from another person for your own change or thing that's coming up. I'm really convinced that in this next season of the church as a whole, that we have to welcome the idea that community equals everything. That when one person is experiencing a change 
or, or really taking a risk in something, hoping that it results in growth, that everybody assumes that this is their risk too. One person's risk equals another person's risk, everyone's risk. So the hope is that then that person who is experiencing that risk or that change has everybody around them supporting them. And so when that one person going through that change experiences growth, everyone from their community who was with them through that experience experiences the growth with them because they've taken that risk on as if it were their own. So as the band comes forward and the ushers come forward, I would like to close out this message. So we have Peter standing on top of this mountain with Jesus, James, and John. And I think Peter asked this question not because he was ignorant, not because he didn't know uh, what was going on or didn't understand the context of what was happening before him with Jesus, but in fact, he was actually getting it right. Everything finally clicked for him, and Peter finally understands that things are going to get really, really ugly before they start to look more beautiful, specifically with Jesus. These things that Jesus has been foreshadowing are coming up really quickly. And the idea of that was probably scary, um, but they were open to that idea. Peter was open to this idea and realizes that Jesus's risk is going to take community. It's going to take his disciples and his friends to come along beside him and to support him through that moment. That Jesus's growth becomes their growth and that for Jesus, in this moment, coming down from this mountain and walking towards Easter, community will equal everything. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram.